The Extraordinary Adventures of Arsène Lupin, Gentleman Burglar After a month of patient investigation, the problem remained unsolved. The poor devil Beaudru could not be kept in prison indefinitely, and to place him on trial would be ridiculous. There was no charge against him. Consequently, he was released, but the chief of the Sûreté resolved to keep him under surveillance. This idea originated with Ganimard. From his point of view, there was neither complicity nor chance. Beaudru was an instrument upon which Arsène Lupin had played with his extraordinary skill. Beaudru, when set at liberty, would lead them to Arsène Lupin, or at least to some of his accomplices. The two inspectors, Folenfant and Duzy, were assigned to assist Ganimard. One foggy morning in January, the prison gates opened and Beaudru Désiré stepped forth, a free man. At first he appeared to be quite embarrassed, and walked like a person who has no precise idea whither he is going. He followed the Rue de la Santé and the Rue Saint-Jacques. He stopped in front of an old clothes shop, removed his jacket and his vest, sold his vest, on which he realized a few sous, then, replacing his jacket, he proceeded on his way. He crossed the Seine. At the Châtelet, an omnibus passed him. He wished to enter it, but there was no place. The controller advised him to secure a number, so he entered the waiting room. Ganimard called to his two assistants, and without removing his eyes from the waiting room, he said to them, Stop a carriage. No, two. That will be better. I will go with one of you, and we will follow him. The men obeyed. Yet Beaudru did not appear. Ganimard entered the waiting room. It was empty. Idiot that I am, he muttered. I forgot there was another exit. There was an interior corridor extending from the waiting room to the Rue Saint-Martin. Ganimard rushed through it and arrived just in time to observe Beaudru upon the top of the Batignolles Jardin des Plantes omnibus as it was turning the corner of the Rue de Rivoli. He ran and caught the omnibus, but he had lost his two assistants. He must continue the pursuit alone. In his anger, he was inclined to seize the man by the collar without ceremony. Was it not with premeditation and by means of an ingenious ruse that his pretended imbecile had separated him from his assistants? He looked at Beaudru. The latter was asleep on the bench, his head rolling from side to side, his mouth half-opened, and an incredible expression of stupidity on his blotched face. No, such an adversary was incapable of deceiving old Ganimar. It was a stroke of luck, nothing more. At the Galleries Lafayette, the man leaped from the omnibus and took the Lamrette tramway, following the boulevard Haussmann and the avenue Victor Hugo. Beaudru alighted at the Lamrette station and, with a nonchalant air, strolled into the Bois de Boulogne. He wandered through one path after another and sometimes retraced his steps. What was he seeking? Had he any definite object? At the end of an hour, he appeared to be faint from fatigue, and, noticing a bench, he sat down. The spot, not far from Auteuil, on the edge of a pond hidden amongst the trees, was absolutely deserted. After the lapse of another half-hour, Ganimard became impatient and resolved to speak to the man. He approached and took a seat beside Beaudru, lit a cigarette, traced some figures in the sand with the end of his cane, and said, It's a pleasant day. No response. But suddenly the man burst into laughter, a happy, mirthful laugh, spontaneous and irresistible. Ganimar felt his hair stand on end in horror and surprise. It was that laugh, that infernal laugh he knew so well. 
With a sudden movement, he seized the man by the collar and looked at him with a keen, penetrating gaze, and found that he no longer saw the man Beaudru. To be sure, he saw Beaudru, but at the same time, he saw the other, the real man, Lupin. He discovered the intense life in the eyes, he filled up the shrunken features, he perceived the real flesh beneath the flabby skin, the real mouth through the grimaces that deformed it. Those were the eyes and mouth of the other, and especially his keen, alert, mocking expression, so clear and youthful. Uh, Arsène Lupin. Arsène Lupin, he stammered. Then, in a sudden fit of rage, he seized Lupin by the throat and tried to hold him down. In spite of his fifty years, he still possessed unusual strength, whilst his adversary was apparently in a weak condition. But the struggle was a brief one. Arsène Lupin made only a slight movement, and, as suddenly as he had made the attack, Ganimar released his hold. His right arm fell inert, useless. "'If you had taken lessons in jiu-jitsu at the Quai des Orfèvres,' said Lupin, "'you would know that that blow is called Udishigi in Japanese. "'A second more, and I would have broken your arm, and that would have been just what you deserve. "'I am surprised that you, an old friend whom I respect and before whom I voluntarily expose my incognito, "'should abuse my confidence in that violent manner. "'It is unworthy. "'Ah, what's the matter?' "'Ganimar did not reply.' That escape for which he deemed himself responsible, was it not he, Ganimar, who, by his sensational evidence, had led the court into serious error? That escape appeared to him like a dark cloud on his professional career. A tear rolled down his cheek to his grey moustache. Oh, mon Dieu, Ganimar, don't take it to heart. If you had not spoken, I would have arranged for someone else to do it. I couldn't allow poor Baudru Désiré to be convicted. Then murmured Ganimar. It was you that was there? And now you're here? It is I, always I, only I. Can it be possible? Oh, it is not the work of a sorcerer. Simply, as the judge remarked at the trial, the apprenticeship of a dozen years that equips a man to cope successfully with all the obstacles in life. But your face, your eyes... You can understand that if I worked 18 months with Dr. Altier at the St. Louis Hospital, it was not out of love for the work. I considered that he, who would one day have the honor of calling himself Arsène Lupin, ought to be exempt from the ordinary laws governing appearance and identity. Appearance? That can be modified at will. For instance, a hypodermic injection of paraffin will puff up the skin at the desired spot. Pyrogallic acid will change your skin to that of an Indian. The juice of the greater celandine will adorn you with the most beautiful eruptions and tumors. Another chemical affects the growth of your beard and hair. Another changes the tone of your voice. Add to that two months of dieting in cell 24, exercises repeated a thousand times to enable me to hold my features in a certain grimace, to carry my head at a certain inclination, and adapt my back and shoulders to a stooping posture. Then five drops of atropine in the eyes to make them haggard and wild, and the trick is done. I do not understand how you deceived the guards. The change was progressive. The evolution was so gradual that they failed to notice it. But Beaudru Désiré? Beaudru exists. He's a poor, harmless fellow whom I met last year, and really he bears a certain resemblance to me. Considering my arrest as a possible event, I took charge of Beaudru and studied the points wherein we differed in appearance with a view to correct them in my own person. My friends caused him to remain at the depot overnight, 
and leave there the next day about the same hour as I did, a coincidence easily arranged. Of course, it was necessary to have a record of his detention at the depot in order to establish the fact that such a person was a reality, otherwise the police would have sought elsewhere to find out my identity. But in offering to them this excellent Baudru, it was inevitable, you understand, inevitable that they would seize upon him, and despite the insurmountable difficulties of a substitution, they would prefer to believe in a substitution than confess their ignorance. Yes, yes, of course, said Ganimard. And then, exclaimed Arsène Lupin, I held in my hands a trump card, an anxious public watching and waiting for my escape. And that is the fatal error into which you fell, you and the others, in the course of that fascinating game pending between me and the officers of the law, wherein the stake was my liberty. And you supposed that I was playing to the gallery, that I was intoxicated with my success. I, Arsène Lupin, guilty of such weakness? Oh no. And no longer ago than the Cahorn affair, you said, when Arsène Lupin cries from the housetops that he will escape, he has some object in view. But, Sapristi, you must understand that in order to escape, I must create, in advance, a public belief in that escape, a belief amounting to an article of faith, an absolute conviction, a reality as glittering as the sun. And I did create the belief that Arsène Lupin would escape, that Arsène Lupin would not be present at his trial. And when you gave your evidence and said, that man is not Arsène Lupin, everybody was prepared to believe you. Had one person doubted it, had anyone uttered this simple restriction, suppose it is Arsène Lupin. From that moment, I was lost. If anyone had scrutinized my face, not imbued with the idea that I was not Arsène Lupin, as you and the others did at my trial, but with the idea that I might be Arsène Lupin, then, despite all my precautions, I should have been recognized. But I had no fear. Logically, psychologically, no one could entertain the idea that I was Arsène Lupin. He grasped Ganimard's hand. Come, Ganimard, confess that on the Wednesday after our conversation in the prison de la Santé, you expected me at your house at four o'clock, exactly as I said I would go? And your prison van? said Ganimard, evading the question. A bluff. Some of my friends secured that old, unused van and wished to make the attempt, but I considered it impractical without the concurrence of a number of unusual circumstances. However, I found it useful to carry out that attempted escape and give it the widest publicity. An audaciously planned escape, though not completed, gave to the succeeding one the character of reality simply by anticipation. So that cigar, hollowed by myself, as well as the knife, and the letters? written by me, and the mysterious correspondent did not exist. Ganimard reflected a moment, then said, When the anthropological service had Beaudru's case under consideration, why did they not perceive that his measurements coincided with those of Arsène Lupin? My measurements are not in existence. Indeed. At least, they are false. I have given considerable attention to that question, in the first place, the Bertillon system records the visible marks of identification, and you have seen that they are not infallible, and after that, the measurements of the head, the fingers, the ears, etc. Of course, such measurements are more or less infallible. Absolutely. No, but it costs money to get around them. Before we left America, one of the employees of the service there accepted so much money to insert false figures in my measurements. Consequently, Beaudru's measurements should not agree with those of Arsène Lupin. After a short silence, Ganimard asked, What are you going to do now? 
Now, replied Lupin, I'm going to take a rest, enjoy the best of food and drink, and gradually recover my former healthy condition. It is all very well to become Beaudru or some other person on occasion, and to change your personality as you do your shirt, but you soon grow weary of the change. I feel exactly as I imagined the man who lost his shadow must have felt, and I shall be glad to be Arsène Lupin once more. He walked to and fro for a few minutes, then, stopping in front of Ganimard, he said, You have nothing more to say, I suppose. Yes, I should like to know if you intend to reveal the true state of facts connected with your escape. The mistake that I made... Oh, no one will ever know that it was Arsène Lupin who was discharged. It is to my own interest to surround myself with mystery, and therefore I shall permit my escape to retain its almost miraculous character. So have no fear on that score, my dear friend. I shall say nothing. And now goodbye. I am going out to dinner this evening and have only sufficient time to dress. I thought you wanted a rest. Ah, there are duties to society that one cannot avoid. Tomorrow I shall rest. Where do you dine tonight? With the British ambassador. <laughs>